So this morning we are in our third, third week of the series we're doing on the Beatitudes. And um, it's one of these series that it's, it, we, we go back to these, these familiar statements time and again, and we, we, know, we know the Beatitudes, we, we've read the Beatitudes, but actually there is always something new to learn. There is always something that perhaps we haven't come across before. And um, there's, there's this sense, we started off this morning by talking about the rain and the, the, the way that it can rain once, but the rain dries and we need rain to come and come again and again and again because, because the rain soaks in or it evaporates and the land needs rain. Well, in the same way, we need to go back to Scripture time and time again to remind ourselves because Scripture can sort of wash over us and we can be filled with it and we can feel absolutely on fire for God one minute and then the next minute something can happen and something can distract us and we can find that our, our whole... Um, our, the thing that was really um, burning a few minutes before has suddenly, suddenly been forgotten very quickly and we realise how fickle we can be. So as an example of this... Um, last week I stood here and I preached about humility and um, uh, we, we spoke about meekness and how we should have this, this attitude of always putting others above ourselves and honouring other people and having the right attitude before God. And then, and then on Monday I was, I was walking to church and I was just walking, walking along and suddenly whoom, this skateboard went past me. And riding the skateboard was a guy about my age. Now, I don't know, I don't know locally, but certainly where, where I come from back in Essex, a, state, a skateboard is a toy. It's not a mode of transport. Certainly not for a, for a grown man. And so I was walking along thinking, what a wally. Why just walk, you know, have some dignity. And just as I was thinking that... There was this paving stone that was a bit loose. And so I'm walking along thinking, oh, look at that wally. And there's this bus stop with the family and three small children. And they were, they were tiny, bless them. They were like, <laughs> did you see that man fall over? <laughs> oh, dear. So we all need this reminder on a regular basis, don't we? This reminder of the wholesome teachings of Jesus. Because if we don't follow the wholesome teachings of Jesus, then very quickly we can find ourselves we can find ourselves looking a bit silly, looking a bit daft. As Christians, wouldn't it be great if we were sort of, um, if we were Ron Seal people? If people, if um, the world could look at us and say, I know what their Bible says, they're a Christian, therefore I know what to expect from them. The Christian faith does exactly what it says on the tin. But so often, so often that's not the case. So often we can, we can have the name of Jesus on our lips, but if we don't immerse ourselves in Scripture, if we don't make sure that we, we maintain our relationship with him, then very quickly we don't do exactly what we say on the tin. Instead, what's inside can be very different to what we claim to be. And we don't want to be people like that. We want to be people who reflect the teachings of Jesus in our attitudes, in our, in our daily lives. And so in this series, we're doing our best to, to remind ourselves of, of what Jesus taught, these simple, pithy statements that sound great, but when we, when we mine them, when we dig down deep into them, we find that they have so much to teach us. And this week, this week, our next beatitude is Matthew 5, verse 6. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. For they will be filled. Every week in church, some people, different people every week, come to church feeling a bit empty. And often at those times, we can come to church out of habit rather than out of desire. We can get to the point where we feel completely empty and we just think, I know it's right to go to church this morning, but to be honest, I'm not really feeling the desire to, to worship and to praise. Um, I'm feeling a little bit swallowed up by my own, my own issues, my own problems, what's going on in life, the things I'm battling and struggling with. But Jesus says, when we come to him empty, when we come to him hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Now, if we're, if we're hungering and thirsting, that means we've got an appetite for it. If we have an appetite for food, if we're feeling hungry for food, it's because we haven't got any food inside us. And so what Jesus is saying here, if, if, we, come, if we come into his presence and we, we are not righteous at that moment, if we haven't been righteous, it's okay. He doesn't expect us to come into his presence as, as these perfect people. He expects us to come into his presence with an appetite, with a desire, with a recognition of our need for righteousness. If we do that, then firstly, we will be blessed. And secondly, we will be filled. God is a God who loves to fill empty vessels. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, when Jesus was, was, um, when Jesus was alive, righteousness um, had many aspects, but they had three main aspects. There are three main um, alarm bells that would have been rung in the minds of those listening to Jesus. First of all, there was the aspects of legal righteousness, having a right relationship with God, doing, doing one's best to, to keep the law of the Lord to keep the law that, that Moses has received from God. Not in, a, not in a, a Pharisaic sort of way. We know that Jesus often clashed with the Pharisees because he was, he was against the idea of the letter of the law being applied, but instead he was, he was for the idea of the spirit of the law being applied. He insisted that the spirit of the law is what, what we need to make sure that we get right. And so our legal relationship with God, although legal sounds like a very um, formal term, actually it's just saying that we should be right with God in terms of what Scripture teaches and make sure that in our hearts, in our hearts we have the desire, we have the hunger to live according to the Bible. The second aspect of righteousness was moral righteousness, having a character that pleases God. So if we, if we can achieve the legal righteousness and we can come before God and have that relationship with him, then when we go out into the world, we should have, have the character, we should treat other people in a way that pleases God, have that, that, those moral standards, again, that we read about in Scripture. And then finally, righteousness, according to the, the Jesus' audience, had a social aspect, a concern for all humanity. We should care not just, about, not just about people that are like us, whatever that may mean, but we should care about those who are, who are completely 
opposite to us as well. You see, let's not forget, God loves each and every person on this earth. We might struggle with that, but God doesn't struggle with that. And so we should, we should seek, when we, come, when we come into the presence of God, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if we have any, um, any, any prejudice that we're battling with, if we have any individual that we're really struggling with, someone at work, someone in the family, the next door neighbor who's just, just had a boundary dispute with, whatever it might be, we need to make sure that we show them love, that we ask God to show us how to love them. But that's a, there's a bigger, bigger element to the, the social righteousness. As Christians, we should stand, stand up for, for civil rights. We should stand with the oppressed, support the poor, feed the hungry, fight injustice. We should have the integrity of Jesus. We should seek to be faultless in character. Now, of course, we are fallen individuals. We will not achieve that in its, in its completion, but we can, we can hunger and thirst. We can have that desire, that appetite. And if we can achieve these things, then we, we take a huge step towards being more Christ-like in our daily lives. And so Jesus doesn't expect us to come before him as these, as these perfect, filled, righteous people. Instead, he just expects us to come before him with an attitude that says, Lord, I want to be more like you. I want to have these things. I want to be able to, to live a life that is more like you. In other words, he wants us to come to him empty and ready to be filled. The Holy Spirit is, is, is never, never runs dry. There is never an end to the blessing that God wants to pour out on his people. But if we don't come to receive, if we don't open ourselves up, if, we don't, um, if we're not prepared to empty ourselves, then we cannot expect to be filled. Our God is a God who loves to fill empty spaces. And not just loves to fill empty spaces, but loves to fill empty spaces with, with joy and abundance. The Bible is full of instances where we see emptiness being filled. And it's never filled with, with something negative, something unpleasant. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we read about a single mother. She's just lost her husband. She lived in a society where not having a, a man to bring in the money meant that you were desperate. Everything she had has gone. The only thing that she has is a small amount of oil. And she goes to see Elisha. And she says, I have nothing. I have debts that were left over when my husband died. And the debtors are coming to take away my sons. That's all I have to give. She's absolutely desperate. Taking away her sons as if that wasn't bad enough for, for a mother to lose her children. The sons were the only form of future income that she could hope to have. And so it was basically a death sentence for her. And she's told, what do you have in the house? What do you have nothing? She says, nothing. I've, all I've got is I've got a 
tiny amount of oil in a jar. That is it. That is all I have in the world. I have nothing. Okay. Okay, so you've got something to work with. You've got emptiness. And God is a God who can work with emptiness. He doesn't look and say, well, there's nothing. There's nothing. He says, hey, look, there's, there's something I can fill. This is someone who's, whose life is not full of material possession, who doesn't feel that they're, they're earning enough that they don't need me. This is someone who has realized they need, they need me. And therefore, I can give. And so she receives a bizarre instruction. Go and knock on all your neighbor's uh, doors. Send your sons out to do the same and ask for empty jars. I know people who make homemade preserves and jams and things like that are always desperate for empty jars and they tend to have houses full of them. Well, I imagine that this is what this lady's house was like just at the moment where she was told to shut her front door and bolt it from the inside and then to take this tiny jar with a small amount of oil in and to start pouring. And as she poured, so she found to her utter amazement that jar after jar after jar was being filled with this oil. It wasn't running out. This small amount that she had was being multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And suddenly God is filling the empty space. And by the end of the story... There she is, surrounded by this, this phenomenal amount of oil that has been poured out. There's enough to sell to pay off her debts, and then there's enough to, uh, to use to sell to bring in an income. And so she can keep her sons. She can, she can suddenly go and buy furniture, buy the food that they need. Suddenly, what looked like an absolutely desperate, empty situation has been filled by God. It's a wonderful story. And sometimes we can read that and think, what a, what, a, what, a, what a strange story. But as our understanding of Scripture grows, we realize it's not a strange story at all. It's actually very consistent with what we read elsewhere in Scripture. In John chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding. And despite all the preparations and the calculations that have gone before, the wine runs out prematurely. And Jesus is, is sitting there, and he knows what's going to happen. He knows that for the wine to run out at the wedding, this is going to be, uh, this, is, this is social suicide. People will be talking about this wedding for years, and not for the right reason. It's going to embarrass the bride and bridegroom, and it's going to, the, the host will, will never live this down. It's going to stain his reputation. And so Jesus sees these jars that were used for storing water. He asks them to be filled then he instructs some to be taken and served. And people are amazed. Because not only is the water turned into wine, but it has turned into the very best wine. The very best wine that normally would have been, would have been drunk right at the start of the wedding when, when people um, were, were, were thinking about the quality of the wine. You see, Jesus took those empty jars... And he filled them. In John chapter 4, he meets a, a lady by a well. She's from a different culture. She's from a different country. And he knows. He knows every detail of her life. He knows that she's had many husbands, that she's an outcast in her society. He knows that she's empty. He fills her with 
the living water that only he could offer. And she goes away fulfilled. She goes away telling people about Jesus. The people that previously she would never have dreamt of, of disturbing, of knocking on doors, now she's doing just that, telling people who she's just met, the experience that she's just had, because Jesus has filled her. John chapter 6, Jesus is faced with 5,000 empty stomachs. What does he do? He fills them. Why? Because he loves them. He sees they're empty and he fills them. In Mark 5, Jairus' daughter is dying. There is a house that is, that is experiencing the emptiness of grief. The emptiness of grief, that hollow feeling where the world just seems an alien place. It will never be the same again, that hollow, empty feeling. And Jesus goes into that house and he fills that house with the joy, the joy of the daughter being restored, the joy of the miracle of her getting up off her deathbed. In John chapter 8, we see a lady who's been caught in adultery on the verge of being stoned to death. She's empty, empty of self-respect, empty of any hope, empty of anyone to give her a second chance. What does Jesus do? Jesus fills her with the opportunity of a new life, an opportunity to go and to not, not sin anymore, go and, and live a life that is fulfilled because she spent time with him. Jesus loves to fill what is empty. It doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always work that way. When, when Jesus re, meets a, a rich young ruler who has got so much wealth, they didn't know what to do with it. Jesus says to this, this man, if you want to follow me, first of all, you must give away your wealth. You see, the man is so full of wealth, the idea of giving it away, of emptying himself, he can't bring himself to do it. But I, 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 that's my security blanket. Without my wealth, well, how am I going to buy food? How am I going to entertain friends? What about the lifestyle I've become accustomed to? I'm, 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 I'm so full, I, cannot, I can't empty myself of all that. And because he's so full, he goes away from Jesus, unable to fulfill what Jesus has asked him to do, unable to empty himself so that he can then be filled by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus' Spirit. And of course, the Pharisees. Time and again in, in the New Testament, we see Jesus meeting with the Pharisees, and we see, we see the two clashing because the Pharisees held so tightly to the legalism of the law of Moses. They were so quick to point out when others had, had failed to condemn other people that they put themselves up on a pedestal. They were practicing the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. And so whenever they come into the presence of Jesus, even though they, they, they know what God said, they don't recognize God's son. They're so full of legalism that they can't empty themselves. Emptiness 
Emptiness costs. Emptiness is never a nice thing to experience. Jesus knew that. Jesus gave up the riches of heaven to experience the squalor of the stable. He emptied himself of all glory, all richness, all the trappings that he could have come onto earth with. But no, he emptied himself so that he can identify with you and I because we all go through these times where we too feel empty. We also all go through these times when actually we feel full, but like the rich young ruler, full in a wrong way. Rather than being full of of joy in the Holy Spirit, rather than glowing in the presence of Jesus, we can be full of of our our work obligations or our financial worries or or looking forward to the holiday that we need to go and buy clothes for and everything else or or full of um, the obligation to study because we know we've got exams and things like that coming up. Whatever it might be, we've all got things in our lives that can fill us at the expense of God. It's imperative that we recognize when this happens, that we recognize that we've got to the end of a day and we've allowed the busyness of the day to push aside, push out the time that we should have given to God. It happens to us all, let's be honest. But, but... The best thing we can do is to come before Jesus, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, recognizing our own lacking, recognizing when we filled ourselves with the wrong things, to rediscover that appetite for righteousness and then come to Jesus with the expectation to be filled. In Luke chapter 14, we read a parable that Jesus teaches. Jesus has just been, well, he is sitting at table with Pharisees. A man has come before him with an illness, a swelling of the abdomen. We're not entirely sure what it is, but Jesus says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They stay silent. They haven't got a response. They want to see what he's going to do. And so he takes the man and he he heals the man. He knows that there's this toxic atmosphere. No one said anything as far as we know, but there's this, this toxic atmosphere. There's this condemnation. Jesus has just completely contravened the law of God. This is wrong. He shouldn't have done it. And Jesus says, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, what would you do? Wouldn't you immediately pull it out? He leaves the question hanging. The scripture says that they had nothing to say. There was no response because they knew full well, if that was, if that was my child or my, my ox, then yeah, I suppose I would. But I still don't agree with you. And there's that awkwardness hanging in the air. Jesus must have been a nightmare to have dinner with sometimes because he just left these awkward situations hanging. He must have been really uncomfortable at certain times. 
But he goes on to explain something about the kingdom of God. Jesus shares the parable of the great banquet. He says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Um, Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So you see, in in these days there was was a culture, it was almost almost a bit like today, sending out a save-the-date card. Before a big event took place, you knew that you'd been invited and you waited for the, the green light. You waited for that moment when, when you had the, the, the servant turn up and knock on a door. Everything's ready. Come now. But you'd been primed. There had been a, a, a forewarning. And so you can imagine it, can't you, that the servant and the master are in the house. The cutlery's been polished. The chandeliers are all beautifully set. The food is just cooking and the aromas are just beginning to seep through the great banquet hall. The tables and chairs are just right. Everything's ready. Everything's ready. That calm before the storm that you have before you have friends around. No? Just me then. And then the master says to the servant, go. You know who's been invited. Go and, go and tell them we're ready. And he goes to the first door and he knocks. And the first excuse comes. The first excuse, I've just bought this field. I need to go and see it. In a modern, modern day, you might say, Look, I've, just, I've just moved house. I'm, I want to I wanna be cutting the grass. I need to go and, go and check out the loft. I've got some DIY to do. No, I'm sorry, I can't come. This is not my priority. In other words, I've got something else I'd rather do. So the servant goes on. And he says to the next, the next knocks on the next door and he says, the, the, the meal's ready, the banquet's ready, come. The guy says, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I need to get them up into the field. I want to start ploughing. I want to make sure they're healthy and they're fit. I'm going to be able to, to, to farm so much more efficiently. I'm excited about this. And I need to go and do this. Today it might be, I don't know, I've just bought a new car. I've just bought a new car and I need to go and clean it and I want to, I want to take it out for a spin. I want, to, I want to see what this baby can do. I'm excited about this. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry, but... Um, I can't, I can't be there right now. In other words, 
There's somewhere else I'd rather be. And then the third door is knocked on. The third invited guest opens a door. You can almost picture the scene, can't you? Where he opens the door. Oh, hi, you're so-and-so's servant. Yeah, how are you doing? And then he says, oh, no, not today. Oh, you're joking. And you can, you can almost imagine him sort of pulling the door, really, so just there's little gaps and so no noise can get through. And he says, I'm really sorry. I've just got married and there's no way she'll let me out. There's no way. I, I, I can't come. Please send my apologies. And the door shuts. What he's saying is, there's someone else I'd rather be with. When we read this parable, and when we break it down into these three simple excuses, I wonder, has God ever been pushed out of your life because there was something else you'd rather do, somewhere else you'd rather be, or someone else you'd rather be with. You see, God doesn't allow the banquet hall to remain empty. A banquet is is more than just a meal in Scripture. So often it's a metaphor for how God wants to treat his people his children. A banquet isn't just a, um, a, a, a box of microchips shoved in for 30 seconds and then here, eat that. A banquet is something that someone has taken time to prepare. It is something that someone has heavily invested in. They want to make sure that the guests that come to their banquet have the, the, the best meal, the best time they could possibly have. A banquet is something so special. And so when when a banquet is talked about in Scripture, don't miss the fact that it is often a metaphor for how much God loves you. And in this parable, it is absolutely a metaphor for how much God loves you. But the excuses, the guests that give the excuses are also a metaphor for how we can sometimes respond to that love. Let us not be a people of excuses. Instead, let us be people who recognize the servant knocking on our door. Recognize Jesus, in other words, being sent by the Father to invite us, saying, this is the way, follow me. Let us be obedient when that door is knocked upon to open it. And whatever else we've got to do, wherever else we've got to be, whoever else is demanding our attention, may they take second place, because Jesus should be our priority. Jesus Jesus should be the centre of our life focus. So that we walk into that banquet hall, following the servant, being greeted by the master. Aware that he will not allow that banquet hall to remain empty. The master sends a servant out when he realises that the people who had been invited had refused the invitation. He sends them out. Going to the streets and the alleys of the town, bringing the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. When that's been done, there is still space, so he says, Go further afield. Go further afield. Don't just focus on our own local area. Go out there. 
into the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come. In other words, the servant is sent to, to compel them. Come on, you need to come. This is going to be an incredible banquet. The master wants you there. Come, come, follow me. Not one of those who were originally invited will get a taste of my banquet. In order for us to be part of that filling of the banquet hall, in order for us to take our place that is prepared for us in heaven, we must be obedient. Obedient to the call to empty ourselves of all earthly trappings and desires and instead to fill ourselves with the one desire that is going to make a difference to us eternally. Paul writes in Ephesians, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And so when we, when we read this beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let us remember that, that to hunger and thirst for something, it suggests that we are empty of that thing, but we have a desire for it. Let us desire righteousness. And let us remember as well that emptiness must be the starting point in our quest for fulfillment. If we can empty ourselves, then we give Jesus something he can fill. Sometimes emptiness can be a very, very painful thing when we are, we are, our lid is ripped open and we are shaken and emptied by the world and we are left thrown in the gutter. And that can be a violent, painful, sudden, harsh emptying which we have no control over. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it has to be a conscious effort. I'm going to put aside this time and I'm going to switch off every device and I'm going to, I'm going to take myself away from every distraction and I'm just going to have me and my Bible and my God and I'm going to give that time to him and I'm going to empty myself of everything except God. And it's worth doing. It's worth doing. Because Jesus loves an empty vessel. Scripture is full of instances where Jesus takes something that is empty and returns it full. You and I are vessels. One day our bodies will be buried or incinerated or turned into diamond or whatever we choose to do with our bodies once we're done. But our souls, our hearts, they belong to Jesus. So let's make sure that we never stop hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God. Let's make sure that we are not too proud to empty ourselves and invite Jesus to fill us afresh. Let's pray. Father God, we, 
We thank you for your unquenchable love, for your unending concern for us. Lord God, we thank you that we can always turn to you, that we can always call upon you, that we can always acknowledge our need for you in our lives. And Lord God, we thank you for this this beatitude. We thank you for the depth of teaching that lies behind it. And we pray, Lord, that as we reflect on this this week, you will draw us closer to you. You will teach us more about your love. And that we may be obedient in taking the opportunity, every opportunity, to share that invitation to the great banquet. But Lord, we pray also that you will help us to avoid distraction, avoid anything that takes our eyes and our hearts away from focusing on you. May we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Lord God, May we be filled. In Jesus' name, amen.
It's been wonderful as ever to worship with you this morning. Please um, join us in Eaton Park next week. Remember, there won't be a service here next Sunday morning. If you see anybody from church this week who isn't here today, please do share that news and warmly encourage them to come along and join us for a time of fellowship next week. But right now, let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for all of those people in the worship group, the technical team in the kitchen, the people who who were opening up. Lord, so many people serve you to make our Sunday mornings happen, and we thank you for them. But Father, most of all, we thank you for the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit present among us, filling us afresh. Bless us as we go out into the world, Lord. Bless us with your strength when we feel weak. Bless us with your grace when we have a failure of character. Bless us with your forgiveness as we confess our sin. Bless us with your goodness as we seek to follow Jesus. Father God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the privilege of calling ourselves your children. Be with us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please do join us for tea and coffee afterwards, and we see you again next week.